Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Vet Med Behind. Uh, um, if you hear trucks in the background, it's because thanks to technology, I'm actually recording from my car. And our guest today, I believe, is talking to us from his home in Hawaii. So pretty cool that we have uh, technology that will allow us to do this. You know, in Vet Med, we're here to talk about success stories and uh, what does success look like in veterinary medicine. And so our guest today is somebody that um, I've been able to share some of that success with and who's had a circuitous, if not um, interesting journey in veterinary medicine. And I'll let him tell you his story. His name is Dr. Jason Troutwine. And many of you may know him if you know of me because in my lectures, uh, I've referred to him and our businesses. So uh, welcome, Jason. How are you today? I'm doing great, Sean. I, uh, I, I, it's been a while since I've heard one of your lectures, and so I'm curious as to uh, as to as to how I'm represented. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or where this is going to go, right? It's always a yeah. that's what makes this such a popular podcast because people never know where I'm going to take things. But uh, no, I, I really, you know, uh, in my world, uh, what we got to build together uh, was the very definition of you know, challenging at some levels, but success. And what I remember about uh, starting working together was that we both had very specific goals. And one of the common uh, denominators of people that are successful, I think, is that they have a very specific vision in mind. And I think that's uh, fascinating that you still hold the title of uh, Chief Visionary Officer uh, for uh, Thrive Veterinary Healthcare. So everybody here knows my background, but what's your background? Like, how did you come to get into veterinary medicine? Veterinary medicine, is it the same story about loving animals for a long time and all of that? And take us up to here, and maybe you can do that all in like, you know, four to five minutes. Yeah, I, I tell people that I'm a uh, veterinary by training, uh, an entrepreneur by nature, and a surfer in spirit is how I kind of describe myself. And I think different from most veterinarians, um, and like you said, I, I did love animals and have a lot of stuffed animals. I realized through my own work that my stuffed animals were my safe place. I didn't know we can, we moved around <laughs> as a kid. I couldn't actually have real animals. And so I had the stuffed animals. Uh, and I actually have two on the bed right now. We have a, I have a little harbor seal and a little dragon. Um, uh, <laughs> so di I, uh, digressing there. Um, but I think, uh, I, I always loved marine animals and the ocean and like loving surfing. And so I, in college, I tell people that I, I became a veterinarian because I had to have an answer to the question. The question was, what are you going to do when you graduate and try to put the things together that I was interested in that, that, that made sense. And I had seen a video or a, a commercial for SeaWorld where they were doing rehab for seals and sea lions in San Diego. And I, a friend had got me the book Dolphin Doctor about Sam Ridgway. He's the first uh, really marine mammal veterinarian, worked at the Navy. And I thought, oh, I could be a seal doctor or dolphin doctor and and started pursuing it and um, managed to uh, get myself on the wait list in Texas A&M and then got, got into school. And actually during college and veterinary school spent a lot of time with the marine mammal training network i did alternative track in veterinary school and i spent time with the navy I actually got to meet sam ridgeway and work with him which is you know pretty pretty amazing um and then also you know kind of during that time i i found myself you know really more interested in veterinary economics magazine than than the journal of veterinary medicine and and uh, i think that not realizing what an entrepreneur was or, you know, sort of identifying that way. Um, but really kind of, kind of caught that bug. And I, I think 
you said something about, you know, goal and vision and, and realizing that I, I, I see things like I see how I want things to be or the way they could be really, or the way it, you know, for some perspective, it should be. And so um, forgive me for interrupting, but I want to tell our, uh, I want to tell our audience and I get you to expand on this more because uh, I was waiting for you to hit it. But uh, that's, it, you know, that's it. You've always had, in my estimation, uh, you've had an ability to um, uh, articulate a vision uh, from whiteboarding it out to uh, seeing. So where does that come from? That is that an innate talent or because I think, you know, people want to get from this. How do I be successful? It doesn't have to be about money. It doesn't have to be about uh, things. It doesn't even have to be about achievement. But you know, executing always seemed like that was attractive to you. At least I saw that. So where does that drive to, to do that come from? Yeah, I think, I mean, and I'm hearing a couple different questions in there. I think the, the skill of envisioning or, and then being able to translate that into something that can be received by other people and, and, and seen also. So it's sort of like, how can I, how can I tell a story or how, how can I paint a picture of what I want the future to be like that makes sense to you that is also um, connects with you and engages you, right? And so I think that's really important. I think some of that is, you know, something I learned from you is really being your authentic self. And that's something that always, you know, I found, you know, highly attractive in you is that from my perspective, you were being your authentic self. And like, I think, so much of my life I was trying to be who I thought I was supposed to be or who I thought I, you know, or who I thought they wanted me to be or whatever. And really I think you and Ruth Ann, my old landlady were two people that were like, man, they're just their authentic self. <laughs> they don't give it. <laughs> uh, they don't give it right. Like, and they're <laughs> just gonna be who they are. And I, and, and so I think, I, I think tapping into that authenticity, I think is what, is attractive to other people because they um, it's really a level of, of confidence and courage and um, strength that to be your authentic self. And so I think if you can connect that your authentic self and, and translate that into a, a vision, you know, for a goal, a goal that you have a goal that you want. And then I think that makes it, you know, more attractive to people and then learning language, you know, that's something I've been really intentional about and here we're talking really fast and so it may slip some but really as you're crafting that vision or crafting that that picture like get really intentional around what's the feeling that you're what's the feeling you're feeling and what is your what is your um what are you what are you connecting with that you can then share share with others in a way that they're you know that it connects with their emotions emotions too and so really understand the intention and the, and the energy of of like where it comes from and i think that that makes the vision you know more more attractive and helps helps coalesce because you we like we've learned we can't do this all by ourselves even setting up this podcast like there's a whole team of people helping and so how do you get other people excited and aligned with with the vision and i think that's part of that part of that process so maybe it's just practice <laughs> yeah, maybe, but you know, you're uh, where I connected with you and, and, and folks, you know, so much of success, I don't know if it's just veterinary medicine, but I'm old enough now at 60 to go, 
so much of success is about uh, the people that you connect with along the way and uh, the network, the journey, the, you know, it's life is just a bunch of psychological bumper cars, you know, <laughs> with people. And there's some, you know, that you collide with and some that you kind of uh, run the track with. And uh, it's about that, that intensity of vision and the, just the ability to know that you got to move to your own drum. And um, I didn't see that a lot in veterinary medicine uh, from my perspective. And um, I, when I, you know, when I met you, I didn't know much about your background, but as I got to know you, I think it's fascinating that um, let's just say you weren't the number one student in your veterinary class. Um, and that, you know, that you're, you're like, and yet, Arguably, you may be, by definitions of success, one of the most successful veterinarians out there in the United States today. You know, so um, I, I think there's not a correlation. Veterinary medicine is so driven by academia, and certainly there's a need to get to a certain level of achievement. Uh, but what has been missing and what I think is, for our listeners, a key to success is the intention of feeling that you talked about weaving feeling into your vision weaving feeling into your drive uh because that creates the eq competency of influence you know and the ability yeah. to like influence people and so um i, I think you're i think what, what you're saying about sorry I interrupt there that about veterinary medicine so academic right is that mm -hmm. the emotion and the feeling are 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 all these were pushed to the side or not in, right. not considered not included and ultimately, you know, the reality of veterinary medicine, we talk about all the time, it's about unconditional love. So it's about like, it's hundred percent about feeling <laughs> like the only reason right. people their pets to us is because it's, I, I, I say it's like, they want peace of heart, like their heart, you know, their brain's trying to make sure their heart feels good. They don't want their heart to be broken or to be, uh, to be affected with, you know, something going wrong with their, you know, their best friend, their, their pet. So I think that, I think that's maybe something I've always been um you know asked my dad this one time what was his what was his um probably like we talked short like we'll have what are our daddy issues or mommy issues that we're overcoming <laughs> i i realized one day i was like my dad's like oh his his vision of success is gold and and gold has he's an engineer like gold has it's like the metallic like what does gold feel like it's these metallic qualities it's, rigid. Yeah. it's very and my vision of success was blue and blue is more about emotion and feeling and relationships and connection. And I, I, I like, I had this awareness. I'm like, Oh, that's why like, it felt like we were so diametrically opposed. Like we, like he wanted, he wanted me to be successful. His, by his definition. Yeah. His concept of success meant this, right? Like the, the best grades and the best things. And then, uh, and I, I went into him and I said, I was like, I was like, dad, what's your, you know, what's your, right you know until you think of success like what what color do you think of and he immediately said gold and i was like ah i just like had to like intuited that like he never said that to me you never just like i was like oh that's like that's that's the difference and so i think part of that is going back to your authentic self i think i was trying to be gold and mm -hmm. and then when i finally really was just like tuning into like no oh, this is and, and you said it's about relationships I, I, that was my tagline i ran into it again the other day of something i had written to steven our uh you know we work with together and i was like yeah it's about 
it's about the relationships and creating the relationships. And if you're not in your authentic, if you're not connected to your authentic self and you're not connected to your authentic vision, then you're not really showing up to, in a way to really offer what you have to offer. So let's, let's tell the story because I get asked it often and I'm sure you do too. And, and in this market of, uh, you know, change and everybody's doing the best they can. One of my concerns is I never want to sound like, oh, you know, look what we did. We're so great. You know, uh, we, you know, because what I tell people about the, the success that I, when people ask me about success, what I say is I, I can't even describe to you that I never expected to be as big as it got. I never expected it to be like the goal was never, uh, you know, uh, lots and lots of money and uh, conquer. Well, conquer the world was a little bit of the goal. But um, uh, so I say that to say that to our audience, um, you know, I had a consulting business and I was happy with my consulting business in Chicago, but I wanted to own some practices. And as a non-veterinarian, uh, the only way to do that was to partner with somebody who is a veterinarian, obviously. And um, uh, But I hadn't really articulated that much to anybody other than myself. And I kind of put it out there in the universe. And, uh, and at that point, I had done, I think, you, I, I don't even think I've done some consulting with Jason yet, but somehow I managed to be a uh, a guest consultant at a retreat that Dr. Mm-hmm. Troutwine had with his then practices. I don't even know how many practices did you have at that point when I was a guest Maybe seven or something like that. Yeah. So yeah, like six or seven practices here in Austin, Texas, and um and so uh, I was their guest consultant and came in for a while, and in the interim between that consulting gig and uh you know we we i don't even know there was something i don't know so what happened after that you tell the story because <laughs> yeah and i'll i mean i remember seeing you lecture like at western or one of the conferences and there's a lecture that you did on um stages of organizational growth and the idea that like once veterinary practices got to a million then then two million revenue like how everything changed and i was going through that in my own practice practices and i had felt like of such a failure because what was working yesterday wasn't working today and then you did that lecture and it was like oh my god that's what's happening it's like we we've just reached this new stage of growth so the infrastructure we had created you know doesn't work anymore because there's too many people and you have to have new systems in place and so that was for me like eye-opening and at that time i you know immediately became one of your um uh, uh, devotees or, or, or followers, because I thought, you know, you, you had really, uh, good, useful information and I wanted, wanted to learn more. And so the opportunity we, we would host a retreat, uh, every year for our managers and doctors and to have you come as a guest speaker. And I think, um, you chastised me for wearing flip-flops, um, at the time and being late. And being late, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. And I managed to offend at least a quarter of your employees at, <laughs> yeah. uh, in our consulting but, uh, gig too. Yeah. I think the energy that you felt of it felt different than what you had been experiencing, and maybe that's what you're you're sort of talking around around the vision in, in veterinary medicine, and that 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 uh that led us to having a conversation about hey, was there a way for us to work together? And and mm-hmm. you, know, you were there's trepidation and 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 interest and how could we do it in a way you talk about yeah like i've been helping all these people create successful practices and i'm i'm sort of you know having to uh kill to eat right and in, in terms of the consulting right. 
business model. And so right. could I create something that could create some long-term value. And I really had realized like I was really not very good at operations. I like, or, or, or managing and op- operations. You're a like, visionary. You're yeah, a visionary. I, I was like, I was learning, learning that. Um, and so I really wanted some, some help. And I had had some, you know, tried some other folks and was really looking for someone to come in. And you're like, well, as long as I'm the CEO, I'm happy to come in. I'm like, I have titles. <laughs> or so whatever you want. I'm like, I'm like, like, sure. Um, and, uh, but I think I said as long as I can be the CEO and I don't have to answer to anybody and um and uh you won't interfere too much and I want X percentage of every practice that we buy. I think I said that. Uh so so folks, uh Jason and I we coalesced around this potential idea. And what I want you to hold on to, listeners, is that entrepreneurialship, when Jason says like he got some information from me or he felt like he got valuable information from me. What I needed was some, for my career, was somebody who had an entrepreneurial spirit. And to me, it, an entrepreneurial spirit is not one, and you taught me this, Jason, is not one of scarcity and fear. Yeah. It is yeah. one of abundance and possibility. Optimism. And taking it another step further, that money is a tool not something that is um, punitive or to be feared. And I don't want to be disrespectful about money, but the idea that, see, because I, I had poor dad thinking and I, I had a, I had a thought that if I just had enough X money, that that would be enough for me. But so your, I had not seen modeled up close entrepreneurship in the way that I wanted to experience it, even though I, I didn't know until after we got into it that it would be what it was, but it turns out to be what I liked and what I needed. So folks, we got together and a uh, long, long story short, um, it it's, it's amazing that we got to the place that we got and we did it through the help of a lot of great people. And I think what made us unique was the ability to present our vision to other people and to get people excited about what our vision happened to be, which was practices where people were self-leading, practices where people were getting psychological paychecks, practices where people were thriving, pun intended, and practices that didn't feel burdened by the prospect of managing veterinary hospitals. Uh, And it turned out that that was a good thing. And so um, how much do you attribute your success and the building of Thrive and the creation of Thrive to that entrepreneurial spirit? Did you have that big of a thing in your head? Because I I get blurred in the conversations. Uh, No, and I'll, I'll go back a little further. I mean, I think like I said, I gravitated more towards the business side of, of veterinary oh, medicine. And I, I realized working, I think part of the entrepreneurial spirit or that is like looking for a better way or like feeling like, like I've been in jobs or I've been in working at practice. I'm like, Oh, I feel like there's a better way to do this. And, and under someone else's umbrella, you may or may not have the freedom to try and test that out. And so practice ownership, for me was really, uh, you know, I'll go back going marine mammals. We ended up living in Austin after school. There's no marine mammals. So I went into small animal practice. And for the first couple of years, it's like, oh, maybe I'll go do marine mammal or maybe not. And then I really got focused on practice ownership, thinking that would be, that would be a way I could 
express some of these ideas and, and thoughts I was, was having. Um, and so that's kind of what led to it. It was just get one practice. And I wanted a partner kind of like you, like I like work better with partners. And um, we uh, had that practice and I, I was in 2005, had the opportunity to buy a second practice. And I read the book, The E-Myth, and that really shifted my perspective. Michael Gerber, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The difference between working in the business and on the business. And I'm like, oh, I've just learned to work in. The, it's like you said, the rich dad, poor dad thinking. It's like, I've just learned to work in, in the business. I'm like, and I shifted and started working on the business. And that's when I pulled back from pulled back from practicing. Um, and my dad would be like, well, why would you, why would you want to manage? You know, you went to school to, you know, again, thinking about <laughs> his, his way. Um, you went to school to create gold bricks. Yeah. 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 <laughs> And uh, I'm like, no, I can build relationships and I can, you know, can acquire and do these other things. So, so that was a, that was a big shift that happened around 2005. And then I say my, the, the next big shift was when, when you started working with us and brought traction, which was just an incredible tool. And I tell a story, you went, you, you went around to the practices and all the practices created their vision traction organizers and you brought them to me. And I don't know if you remember this, but I started crying reading them. Because I realized that my vision for the teams was their vision for themselves was greater than the vision I had for them. And I realized like, oh my God, as the entrepreneurial, you know, leader, I'm the rate limiting step. And so I'm sealing, you know, my vision is sealing all these people. And so to your point around vision earlier, like that's when I got really intentional around vision because I realized I had to create a vision that allowed for everybody to self-actualize. Have their own vision. Yeah. Yeah. Be who they be they are. Like it's like you know, in the in the new age language like hold space whatever like i had to be able to hold space i had to create a, a vision that was because my vision was here and your vision is bigger than it, it wouldn't work and so to me it's like that working in the business working working on the business and then at that you know creating that different perspective i say is working on myself and that's why i started doing meditation stuff that's when you and i became closer and started doing you know i call it just having real authentic conversations around what was going on in our lives and where we came from and like really kind of exp- expanding, you know, trying, how do I get a bigger vision and, and then studying and learning and being open, right. To, to, I think, especially in academia, you tend to get really rigid in your, in your pathways, um, your neural, your neural pathways, right. And you see, you only see what you see because you're, you're, Correct. you're, you're thinking the same way. And so part of being a visionary is how do I look at things or, or creating a vision is, well, how do I look at things differently? And then, then how do you get, how do you get there? Ultimately you need people to help you get there. And so how do you, how do you, how do you connect to the emotional aspect of it? That's that benefits all right. Or, or, or the, 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 the chosen or however you want to describe it. And then you're mm-hmm. all working towards that together. And I think, um, mm-hmm. so I, I say that working in the business, working on the business, working on myself has kind of been my, my journey. Um, you know, it's been, a, it's nothing I had ever imagined, like nothing I had. Ever <laughs> no. So, and folks, this has been, you know, like crazy. When I remember when Jason and I got together to start working together, we, we were talking in my mind, if we could have five or six practices and live off the EBITDA of that, you know, uh, that, that, that would be a nice retirement. And, and it, you know, and so, and which is, is a beautiful retirement. In fact, it still would be a great retirement, but, you know, uh, dreaming a bigger dream, 
I don't think either of us expected because what happened, folks, is you get a little bit of success. And we had like uh, 15 to 20 practices and you get a little bit of success. And then people who have real money come up to you who are chasing financial success and say, you know, hey, we want to be a part of your vision. And so I want to really get that with like, because people ask me all the time, well, like, how did, in our case, it happened to be Morgan Stanley, you know, but how did, how did people get interested in that? And I, I felt like when we, so we grow this business up a little bit and it was time to go to the next stage. We had reached yeah. about 125 to 200 million in revenue. And um, operationally, it was very clear that we needed even bigger systems and all of that. And we needed more resources to buy and uh, to buy practices. And so um, I, to me, that was the most successful time of the business in my mind, uh, just because we were, it felt like we were out selling ourselves, but it never felt because yeah, yeah. it was, we were selling this vision for, for the betterment of veterinary medicine, for the elevation of everyday veterinary practices and, and, and for the improvement of kind of people's lives, like stuff you could put on a union poster, you know, yeah. uh, and it, and it still makes me feel good today, even though the company continues to go through iterations as all companies do. It makes me feel good today that that was the founding vision of the company. And I want to ask you about how how do we keep that going in the years to come? You know, as the chief visionary officer, and I, I wish we had like four hours, but as the chief visionary officer, how do you take that spirit that uh, that we built a business on and kind of keep that alive and keep that going uh, for the next generation of people that kind of running this company? That's one question. And then we'll get into other questions after that. Yeah. I, I you know, Tony, it's, I mean, it's something honestly that I'm struggling with right now because, okay. because I think the, the, in the language of you're saying selling ourselves, really, it was like, we were looking for a partner. We were looking mm-hmm. for another partner, just the way that you and I found each other to, because we, we, we each had skills and talents that the other didn't have. And so we, we needed to take the next step. And, and then we got to a place in the business and actually we were 38 million. It was when we brought in the other two groups that we got up to like a hundred, I think, or no, it was even less than that, but yeah, 30, 38 million. And we needed a partner. We needed a financial partner. And, and right. ultimately when we brought on that financial partner, just like you bring up any, any in relation with any partner, there's, there's gives and takes. And we gave up some things that ultimately we haven't gotten back. And I think, I think there are, um, I'll use the word competing in, you know, Morgan Stanley is no longer a part. They were an amazing partner. We have a partner TSG, um, also an amazing partner. And there's, there's different, different perspectives, different values. I think one of the things that you and I, you know, really helped me and coalesced around that time when we first met was, me really getting connected to my values, which are have fun, creating opportunities for others and myself, uh, growing the pie and sharing the pie and creating win, 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 wins. And, mm-hmm. and really seeding the vision with those values is what made it attractive. Darren used to say magnet for awesomeness made it attractive. Yes. For us. yes, yes. So it's like what, what, you know, and, and we did all those things. We grew the pie and we shared the pie. We created tons of opportunities. We created a lot of win, 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 wins. And now our organization is a multi, you know, it's over a billion dollars. And just like that original lecture I saw of yours, like we're going through a different stages. And so I think, and we've seen this, I, I, the, the language I use is, is like hedges, which is, 
and maybe it's maybe it's a little um cold but like when you have i'm looking outside of the bushes when you have hedges and you want them to be square you have to trim them every for three weeks and and that goes back to this idea of the vision that encompasses all underneath and so if your vision is square hedges well any hedge that's growing outside the square does not need to get cut and to me that's people in the organization right like oh they're, they don't fit anymore because of where we're trying to be and where they're trying to go and that's super i mean i used to take that so personally early on in the career and, and, and still do like that if i couldn't create a space for everybody if i couldn't if i couldn't meet your needs going back to how we came together and i had this conversation with our team lately around hiring doctors i'm like my guys just ask them what they want like what we got here was everybody i, I mean you remember asking like what do you want I'm like, okay, how can I, and and that's part of having a bigger, broader vision or, and bigger perspective is like, well, how can I, how can I provide that? How can I make that happen? Or how can we collectively make that, you know, that wasn't all on my shoulders, but how could we create that mm -hmm. together? Mm -hmm. And, and I think that's what part of what helped us grow and what helped us attract really amazing people was we just said, what do you want? And like, oh, well, here's a, here's a, here's a vehicle. Here's a, here's a here's a vehicle for you to, to, to be in and be a part of that ultimately should, should get you there. Right. If we all, if we're all rowing the way we need yes. to be rowing. And I think, yes, I haven't heard people talk like that. So, and maybe you have, but that to me, that was a different, I'm not something that was unique about us and the way we operated and the way that we, the way that we were, um, it was, um, and because it was, our, our motivator was intrinsic. It wasn't extrinsic. Mm -hmm. yeah. And folks, that's the very definition of entrepreneurship and the irony in the success of ultimate success of entrepreneurship is one of two things. You have a legacy business that you pass on to your family um, or to the community or something like that, or you have a business where you partner with other uh, people who have similar interests, but they become divergent or you have to meet both needs. And, you know, we were literally, we went full circle from totally entrepreneurial to now a company that is a corporation. And it's a, it's, it's a massive BMF thing that has a completely different style of movement. I think like 12,000 or 13,000 yeah. employees. Like, it's crazy. A lot, yeah. My, my, I remember employee number one was Gordy Martinez, like, in the first time we And, and like, I literally had one full-time employee. <laughs> I know, I know. I drive by our old hospital every day, and they still have the McVeigh management signs uh, on the on the outer door right there. It's, it's yeah. hilarious, and I take a picture of it. So I guess what I'm hearing you say in that is that one of the things that a larger company struggles with is implementing and articulating that vision over and over or understanding that that vision is something that, you know, isn't always going to make 100% of the employees happy because, you know, with 12,000 people, just like America, you know, democracy is great when you have, you know, 15 million Swedes trying to run their country. It, it's it's yeah. it's get great to get consensus. But when you have 385 million people of disparate cultures uh, trying to accomplish something, half of the time people are going to be frustrated no matter what you do. And so I think that's a, that's analogous to a company getting big uh, is that when it gets big, no matter what you do, you're not going to make 100% of the employees happy. And there will be enough people that are unhappy that they can create a noise, you know? And so yeah. 
things move slower and it's the very nature of the beast. To me, the way around that is to reinvent the entrepreneurial spirit through continuing to develop silos and continuing to develop, uh, you know, strands of influence. Uh, so the thing, the thing that I've been really, uh, chewing on a lot lately is, is the, that it's a, it's a saying from Lord of the Rings that, uh, even the wise don't see all ends. They really know. And that, um, the, you know, the balls, you know, yeah, the, yeah. The dust. so it's like if you take the one ball and if and if they're if they're perfectly aligned then the other one swings and they all come back right the perpetual motion machine right but if that ball yeah. that you hold is just a little bit off center then the second ball might go the third but then downstream eventually you get a tangled mess right yeah just like a traffic jam yeah and yeah. so this this idea like when you're as organizations get bigger there's more balls right and how do you make sure you're maintaining alignment and intention, right? When you're dropping that ball, because what the downstream effect, um, and because the wise don't see all ends, you don't know how many balls are, you don't know how many balls are there. You don't know what the downstream effect is going to be. And I think that is a real, that's a real challenge. And it's how do you make sure all the right people are at the table in any decision that's being made? How do you, and this is why things slow down because instead of an entrepreneur just being like, we're going to do this, you know, and charging ahead, you, the, the little mistakes or, or little, little areas of misalignment can create huge challenges. Um, right. Or, right. And, and so being really thoughtful and really mindful and really curious and, and having a real understanding of that, that effect of a, every action has an equal and opposite reaction. And what is the opposite reaction I'm going to be creating two, three, four, five, six, seven people down the road or, or down the line or Ooh. two, three, four years down the line or what, you know, and, and like Ooh. starting to kind of take that, take that in. It's really, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of daunting. And, and, and because the saying is even the wise can't see, you know, it's no matter how smart you are, no matter how thoughtful you are, no matter how much time energy you put into making a decision, you ultimately, ultimately there are going to be factors that are that weren't seen or are not in your consideration or calculations or whatever and then you're like ah oh, crap and you know now i <laughs> you know, like um we uh we like we we one of the decisions that was made uh, like two years ago is like hey, we wanted to to raise our raise our um um minimum wage fees fifteen dollars right oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. like what a great idea like you know you know i've talked about how we make this employees like you know they, they don't have to leave the profession and how do we make sure everyone gets a living wage and so we roll that out across the country and granted some markets had even higher wage than that but to me i think that's a great thing well guess what happened the the kennel person who's in tennessee who is making eight dollars an hour is now making the same as the technician who's been there for 10 years because their cost of living is so much lower now that technician is her feelings are hurt and now she quits. And then now the hospital, you know, hospital profitability suffers because we're raising all these employees up and these good people are quitting. And it's like, that's example of a, of a, of a, of an action that was taken from my perspective, like out of in, you know, in alignment Total with good values, right. And it's like, mm -hmm. Oh, those unintended consequences. And so as organizations get bigger, you just like, that's why things move slower. And that's why it's not, it's not, it's not the right space for some people because they're just they're built differently or they're they're wired differently and so 
you know, how you have to move. It's like driving a speedboat versus driving an ocean liner. It's just like, it's totally different, totally different, uh, you know, and speedboats are probably, I'm a speedboat driver more than I'm an yeah. ocean driver. Right? Yeah. Folks, what you are listening to right now is two people nerd out on management stuff. Um, and and about uh, about this, I'm recalling because Jason and I haven't uh, worked directly together for uh, a few years now, and um, uh, I'm recalling though what I enjoyed about the actual work that we did get, get did together was sitting down and brainstorming and um, just kind of looking, examining the why of things and what are and what are our intentions and what do you think that will be? Because in the end, for me that was like the spiritual payoff, right? Is, is if I can have a positive impact on people, pets and the world and the planet and all of that, and still get a reward of enough money to change my circumstances, you know, meaning move forward in life, uh, then wow, what a win, win, win for that to happen. And, uh, and that's to me is the definition of success for an entrepreneur. And, um, you know, what, what we've gotten to live is entrepreneurialism um, full circle. But yeah. for, you know, our, our audience that is that is here, you know, I think really the issue and what you uh, embody and what the spirit of uh, the business that we worked on together embodies is the idea of mining what makes you tick as a person with what works as a business. Yeah, I tell I tell I tell entrepreneurs solve problems at scale. Like if you can solve a problem at scale, you can create success. And so like what is a what is what is the what is the problem that you're you know that's what's something that's bothering you is bothering 10 other people, 100 other people, a million other people, a billion other people. Well, if you can fix that, then that's you've created a ton of success. And so solving problems yeah. at scale, solving problems and then solving them at scale is a is a is a is a key i think like mm-hmm. that's a, that's a that's a mind frame or, or 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 perspective to like going back to your like original question like or one of your original questions like that's how you can be an entrepreneur figure out how to solve a problem at scale right yeah yeah well folks uh we are running out of time for this particular uh session of the vet med mind however I have a gut feeling that uh, I'm going to get some feedback about this particular episode and there might be demand for us to dive deeper or to tell more of a story uh, because of our content only being able to be 30 to 40 minutes. Uh, so would you be willing to come back, Jason, and talk again? Uh, anytime. I love to talk to you, Sean. To be, be my All, right. All right. Well, I would love that too. Folks, uh, this is Dr. Jason Troutwine. Uh, this is the Vet Med Mind. And uh, as we leave, uh, Thank you for a great 2023 and welcome to a fantastic 2024. And we look forward to celebrating more stories of success with you. Uh, I think the word to say to Dr. Troutwine is mahalo because you are in uh, Hawaii. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, mahalo. All right, mahalo. Thank you so much. Bye.